0: Let's dive into today's topic. Hello and welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Laws, and I am very excited to be back with you. Really appreciate all the, the feedback uh, recently on the podcast, the reviews on Apple Podcasts, and, and even people just connecting with me on LinkedIn and telling me about uh, how the, the podcast has, has really helped you in your development. So keep keep on doing that. I, I love hearing from listeners. Love to connect. Uh, as I've mentioned previously, so I, I'm in kind of three or four different places. Uh, LinkedIn, definitely connect with me there. I'm, I'm on there frequently. Instagram, love connecting with people there as well. Uh, a lot of, a lot more personal stuff on there, uh, but definitely mix some business with personal stuff. And then uh, Twitter as well. So active in those three places, you're welcome to connect with me and connect with Zenium too. Uh, we push a lot of our new content out that way, whether it's events, podcasts, articles, anything of that nature. So definitely go connect with us, follow us there. So today's episode, this is kind of a unique podcast. Uh, so Eric Gregg, he is the CEO and founder of a company called Innovero. They're in Portland, Oregon. They're actually uh, full transparency. They're a client of Zeniums. Uh, we we help them with their payroll processing and in HR. Uh, but what they do is they actually do surveys for uh, customer-driven surveys. Uh, If you've heard of a term called NPS, a net promoter score, uh, turns out they actually do employee surveys as well. So we spend a lot of the time really talking about that customer-driven survey and translating it over to the employee-driven survey, the ENPS score and really why you would want to, for one, survey your employees, what a high score means from a culture standpoint, and really how to use it uh, for shaping the future and, and really driving that culture and driving your business ultimately. You're really going to love this episode. I It was a really fun discussion with Eric. The guy is super smart, and I hope you connect with him. Uh, I'll put links to eric's uh, linkedin page and the ways to reach him he's a wealth of knowledge and as he mentions later on in the episode he is glad to connect with anybody to talk about this so enjoy the episode and we'll talk with you next week hey eric it's so great to have you in the podcast welcome
1: Thank you. I appreciate it, Brandon. Looking forward to it.
0: So your company, Inoverro, you're doing some amazing things from a satisfaction survey standpoint. You do a lot of work uh, for M- the NPS uh, Net Promoter Score. So for that's for customers. And I know you're doing some work for, for employees as well. So... I wanted you to first define what the NPS, the Net Promoter Score concept is, where it came from, and maybe some of the psychology behind the NPS and how companies may be using it.
1: NPS is Net Promoter Score. Uh, It was uh, developed uh, actually in about 2003 uh, was when it was launched. There was a Harvard Business Review article written by a gentleman by the name of Fred Reicheld called uh, The One Number You Need to Grow. Hmm. And essentially what he had found was that there was one question, that if you put it in your satisfaction survey, and this was really focused on customer satisfaction at the time, there's one question you put in your satisfaction survey that essentially tells you most of what you need to know about whether or not that individual is going to refer you, is going to, to, to reorder from you, uh, is going to increase how much they spend with you. Uh, and that question is, how likely are you to recommend XYZ company to a friend or colleague? And and, uh, what they did is instead of relying on a simple average, which only tells part of the story, is they did the analysis to understand that if somebody gives you a 9 or a 10 on that, they act very differently than a a different score on that. And they found basically three categories of responses, 9s and 10s, the promoters, the people who love you. Sevens and eights, what they call passives. These are the people, uh, the way to think about it is they're satisfied but not necessarily loyal to you. And then six or lower, and this is what they call detractors. And, they, and the sort of the brilliance of this is that they took what normally was kind of an academic exercise uh, on these customer satisfaction surveys with 40 or 50 questions, and they culled it down to this one number, this one metric uh, that, that was very easy to understand, very easy to interpret, very easy to take action on, and they call that Net Promoter Score. Um, And since that time, it's really become the predominant uh, methodology that's utilized in both customer satisfaction and it's now starting to, over the last, say, five or six years, it's started to really um, become a focus of internal employee satisfaction as well as people try to understand metrics, uh, you know, similar across their stakeholder groups both internally and externally.
0: So Zenium used you guys for the first time for the net promoter score about I want to say 5 or 6 years ago. So I'm I'm pretty I'm well aware of what the number means and how it's calculated. But for listeners who maybe the first time they're ever hearing about the net promoter score, what really goes into that whole number? So if your net promoter score is let's say a 50, let's take an easy easy number What is that made up of?
1: So actually, the best way to do this uh, is is to keep the math easy so I don't make a mistake, right? (laughs) Um, So let's say you have 100 responses to your survey, and 60 of those responses give you a 9 or a 10. But 10 of those 100 responses give you a 6 or lower. So that would mean that you're looking at 60% of the responses were promoters, 10% 10% of the responses were detractors, so a net promoter score of 50% then would be calculated because 60% minus 10% mm-hmm. gets you to that 50%, right? And, and so one of the big challenges, truthfully, with net promoter score is that a 50 is actually a really good score, yeah. um, it's actually an exceptional score. Uh, 70 is considered world class, um, but, but 50 is exceptional, 30 is pretty average. Um, now, you know, those doing the math at home, right? You, you know, that score could go from negative 100 to positive 100. Uh, I will tell you, um, I don't see many in the negative camp, right? If you're creating detractors at a faster rate than you're creating promoters and you don't turn that around quickly, you're not around long, uh, as a part of that. It's, uh, it just travels too fast. And so you really want to aim to be really in that 50 plus camp. If you're, if you're 50 or higher, then what that 's telling me is that your service is actually helping to drive your growth it 's not limiting your growth
0: so the the three or four times that we 've done in the survey with you guys our, so our score that 's hovering around the seventy mps that's that 's pretty good <laughs>
1: yeah that's that 's truly world class and and honestly you know it 's not a surprise to me that you guys are in that mode um, because what we find is that there is a difference between uh doing Things well and providing good service, and there's a difference between providing the kind of service that people would put their reputation on the line to recommend a firm for, um, and that's a, a big thing that people don't often understand. Is that they say, "Look, you know, we should be getting more referrals. We should be getting more word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our service. You know, we do a great job. We always call people back. We do what we say we're going to do." And, and the reality is, is that that's not, that's not what drives loyalty. Doing, you know, doing what you're supposed to do doesn't drive loyalty. That drives satisfaction. What drives loyalty is doing what you're supposed to do and then, and then finding the opportunities to go above and beyond that um, and really exceed the expectations uh, with, with the people that you're working with. That's really where you get into those nines and tens, and, and, and you start to see that net promoter score drive upward overall.
0: I imagine this would be different for uh, an, a customer driven survey versus a, an internal employee survey. But what kind of response rate do you need to really kind of qualify or substantiate the the data that you're getting from these surveys? Uh, like, if you have a big like a lot of volume in terms of customers, but you only have you know 50 employees, like, how do you like what kind of response rate are you looking for in those cases where? Uh, you would say, "Oh, okay, I got a 50 MPS. That's that's good because you know we got a, a really high response rate." Like, what what do you kind of look for generally?
1: Uh, so I'm gonna answer that a couple of different ways. It's a really good question. Um, internally, if you're not getting a response rate of around 70% or higher, um, then what that tells me is that internally people don't believe that you're going to be taking action uh, on on what they give you for feedback. That's that's usually what happens, or they don't trust that they can give candid feedback as a part of that. So if you're not above, certainly above sixty, but I, I would argue even you know close to seventy or higher, um, that 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 concerns me a little bit. Separate of what your score is on the internal side, when you're looking at the customer side, um, you know the average response rate uh, in in B two B surveys is about fifteen percent. The average of our clients is about 34%, mm. and, and we work really hard on that, but also our clients work really hard on that um, and, and to make sure that they have that engagement uh, high as a part of that. What we do know from the analysis that we've done is that in financial terms, the customers that don't respond essentially uh, act the same way as a passive, a 7 mm, or an 8. Yeah. So that means that they're not frustrated enough to give you a bad score, but they don't love you enough to to give you a really high score as well.
0: Do you find that like when people, because with the NPS and the way you're sending these out, it's on an individual basis. So like there's a custom link and that way you know exactly who's who's responding. Do people like being known or would do you think there'd be a higher response if there's some anonymity around it? Like, do you think that detracts people from, not to use the, the word detractor, but do you think it detracts people <laughs> from actually filling out the survey and providing valuable feedback?
1: So we actually tested that with Zeniums sister company express Mm -hmm. back in the day uh, a while ago and what what was interesting is you know the reason why we tested it was there was a fundamental question and a frustration actually of hey i don't know who said this and it's really frustrating because i could easily fix this if i knew who who had said you know this one frustration i could easily fix this and so we thought well let's go and see yeah right let's go and see it, you know what what that looks like and if that changes, and so we did a random sample of ten different locations where we took half of the uh, half of the audience and sent them an anonymous survey, and the other half we sent a survey that uh, they weren't granted anonymity and what was interesting is that the actual the response rate was slightly higher when they weren't granted anonymity, and the scores were identical. Wow. And and what I think happened, Brandon, with that is that if I'm engaged with, uh, a, a you know, a relationship where it's an ongoing relationship such as Zennium would have or as most B2B firms would have, I really, if I'm going to give you feedback, I want that to be impacting the way you service my account, right? I don't want to just be thrown in into the averages. I want it to impact how you service me and uh and and so that's i think why people and and on the customer side you know they're in control right they're the one writing the check mm-hmm. um that that ultimately gets to decide if the relationship continues so they're empowered to give you feedback and and to give you honest feedback it's a little different internally internally yeah. you do need to uh you know grant that anonymity because the the power dynamic is different right um, if i 'm submitting information and feedback on my manager, my manager has a disproportionate control yeah. over my career, my life um, and so if I feel like that 's going to be used against me in any way i'm i 'm really not comfortable giving that feedback, so you need to be anonymous on the internal
0: so when you 're working with companies for this internal survey, you are completely doing opposite you 're doing you 're doing anonymous surveys. Exclusively, yep. or do you ever... Op- Exclusively. Okay, that, that's, that's interesting yep. to know. Exclusively. I had no idea. Yeah.
1: One thing to keep in mind on that, Brandon, though, is that when, when you're looking at that, you still want to try to segment those responses, right? You still want to try to understand, it because the, the the danger that you have with any feedback survey is making broad generalizations yep. that don't necessarily get at the core issue within a particular group. Um, and so, you know, if you look in, uh, I'll just use staffing firms as an example. You look in staffing firms and the issues that an account manager or a recruiter has um, are completely different than somebody working in the corporate staff. And so if you don't, if you don't at least segment down to that level, you, you run a real risk of overgeneralizing yeah. for most companies.
0: Well, context is everything, right? So I'd worry about like, okay, somebody has a detractor response as an internal employee. And then there, maybe there's some, there's some, specific feedback or something but it's not enough to go off of necessarily and maybe it's a it's just a single outlier whereas somebody receiving the feedback would be like oh my gosh we got to change everything that we're doing from a culture standpoint we need to get ahead of this whereas maybe it's just one disgruntled person that had a weird one-off experience like how do you right. han- how do you yep. handle that <laughs> when it's anonymous
1: yeah you, yeah it, you, know, you just have to look at the 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 overall amount of that data right if some for example if you're doing an internal employee satisfaction survey, and let's say you have 100 employees and and you get, you know, 75 responses on that, um, and, you know, 30 responses, you know, talk about uh, a frustration with, um, you know, the communication at the organization. Well, that tells you that there's an issue with the communication. If three people tell you that, then then you've got to look at it a little bit differently, right? There has to be some judgment involved in that. And and I think that that's one of the key areas to to keep in mind on that is that you don't want to overreact to every single piece of feedback that you get. Um, And and that goes for the client satisfaction surveys as well. And I'll just give you a perfect example. Uh, Let's talk money. So there's not a single person in America that, that believes that they are, you know, fairly compensated Mm -hmm. for the value that they add to their company. There's also not a single company that hires a vendor that wouldn't be even a little more happy if they got the exact same level of service and the exact same product for less money. So you want to be a little bit cautious, and that's where you need to really have the context and ideally some benchmarking to be able to see that, okay, you know, we had – ten clients that said that uh, we should lower our rates, but those ten clients, eight of them gave us a nine or a ten, and that was their only suggestion was to lower the rates. Well, that doesn't mean that my rates are too high. matter of fact, if we don't see it at all, I would argue that you're leaving money on the table. On on the employee side of it as well, you want to look at the fairness of compensation, right? You don't want to just ask MPS. You still want to have a battery of questions, Mm -hmm. Um, not many, you know, ideally ten or less, um, but you still want to have a battery of questions to get at other things that we know drive that employee engagement
0: make your pitch uh, from a why perspective like why would an employer want to do an internal survey and at what point uh, size of company either in terms of revenue or employees or whatever the benchmark is that you recommend people start doing an internal survey like this like just make your pitch what why, why do people need to do this
1: start doing it you know when you get your tenth employee in my opinion Mm. you know ahead of that you probably are are closely net start doing it when you get to your tenth employee don't pay much you know use the best places to work survey or or some other you know inexpensive options to get you a little bit of benchmarking a little bit of context Uh, but don't pay much for it until you get up to probably around 50 and then once you start to get it around 50 employees it's probably worthwhile to, to to start to look at engaging a professional um, that can give you some context that can give you the questions that you should be asking um, and that can you know give you that that back in a digestible manner. Here's here's the the reality, Brandon. As you look at this, is that if you're not getting that feedback, if you're nervous about getting that feedback, then then ultimately you're sending a message to your internal team that that you're de-emphasizing the importance of their experience with you. Um, and, and that can be a pervasive you know, shock to the culture, and, and it can open up wounds in all sorts of other areas, whether it be directly in turnover, whether it be an engagement of, of the team that you have on hand, uh, whether it be in recruiting other people because they, they can see that there's not the same passion for the company internally. Um, and, and now even, you know, we have that risk. We didn't used to have the risk, but you also have the risk of, of it pervading your online reputation, which has a direct impact not only on, on your ability to recruit, but um, also on people, how people perceive your brand out in the marketplace.
0: From the customer-driven MPS question, the how likely are you to recommend uh, our company to a friend or colleague versus the, the internal one for employees, how does that MPS question change, if, if at all? That, that one question. I know you have other sets of questions you might recommend, but what about that one question? Does anything change about that?
1: Not much, but we do tweak it. Um, what we found early on when we were doing the internal employee NPS or the ENPS, is, mm. uh, it, it's called shorthand-wise, uh, was that uh, we would have people that would take the question more literally than what we wanted. So if we just ask them, how likely are you to recommend Xenium uh, to a friend uh, or colleague um, as a great place to work. Well, al- already right out of the gate, colleague doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Because colleague means that they're already there. So we changed it to friend and family, uh, friend or family member. Yeah. But then we ran into this other piece of it, which they said, look, I, you know, I, I like working you know, at Inoverro, let's say, um, but I, I certainly don't want my sister working here. <laughs> um, and, yeah, that's uh, a good distinction. So, yeah, so we started to look at it. So we added one last piece to it, which was to... What was to say, uh, how likely are you to recommend, you know, Zenium to a friend or a family member as a great place to work, mm-hmm. you know, or a variation similar to that? And we'll tweak it a little bit if, you know, if people prefer it one way or the other, but that's that's the crux of what you're trying to get. You know, if you, if you were talking to somebody, would you say it's a great place to work?
0: How does that translate into uh, the promoters, passive, distractors? How do you like? Is the calculation the exact same on the customer side? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. And what do you see as the calculation is the exact
1: same? Yeah, calculation is the exact same, Brandon, because the, the really the reason why there there even is sort of a, a, a you know growing market of EMPS is because you have leadership that's running their organization based on their on their customer MPS, and, and they're saying, look. We need to see, you know, what employees think of us. And this is already a metric that the whole company understands, that the whole company builds around, you know, we, and it provides one more layer of context. Um, and, and so they'll want to keep as much similar there uh, as possible. The, the ENPS um, is going to be very different by industry. But, again, you should be, if, you, if you're not at a 50% or higher, then you're probably, your internal culture is not doing work for you if you're below say a 30% i would start to get pretty concerned
0: it's interesting that i like the the point you made about the extra layer because of context because if you sort of look at the nps score uh, the customer survey and you're sort of looking at it like oh we've got a low score or high score or whatever it's it's a to me it would be a byproduct of whatever's happening with your people and it probably it's too it's like so downstream that you really can't get ahead of it but that extra layer that that E NPS score could provide context like oh my employees are really engaged or they're not engaged and that probably translates down downstream like a uh, bad NPS score or high NPS score is that kind of your experience
1: yeah it is and it also is a leading indicator uh, of financial performance oh, um, interesting. If, if you yeah. have you know if you have a poor MPS score whether it's on the internal employee or um, the customer side of it, um, you know, that's going to be a leading. It, it doesn't happen overnight. On the customer side, it's a, a lag um, of about six to nine months. Um, and I haven't looked at enough data on the employee side um, to, to to know for sure. But I will tell you this: from an employee side, uh, a detractor on an employee side is sixty-eight percent more likely to to quit, mm. and they're forty-seven percent more likely to get fired in the next uh, six months.
0: Well, that's a striking metric. <laughs> it deep. is,
1: right? And so, you know, and, that, and that's also the argument. I think, you know, when, when I look at this methodology, Brandon, what, what stands out to me is not sort of the beauty of the metric or the simplicity of the calculation or anything like that. What I think they got right more than anything was this concept that instead of trying to know Every detail with fine precision. You know, once every two or three years. I want to. I want to get this on a regular basis. I want to flip the script a little bit, and I don't want to spend 80% of the time analyzing the results and 20% of the time taking action. I want to spend 80% of the time taking action. Yep. Right. And and the only way you do that um, is by minimizing the distance between the you know analysis, so that you can uh, be taking action more often, and you can be getting the feedback more often.
0: What are common traps that you're seeing your customers fall into when they're doing a survey, Uh, whether it's the customer-driven one or the employee one?
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things. Um, I'll talk employee first. Uh, Employee, the biggest trap in the world is not closing the loop. Mm -hmm. Um, If you don't have a a really good faith expectation that you're going to get back, at least in a summary form to your employees, what you learned as part of that process, then don't do it, um, yeah. because you're you're you know, reinforcing a really bad habit, which is, oh, uh, leadership doesn't care about what I think, yep. right? Um, and and if there's any kind of that fear involved there to start with, and then now you're you're you know, asking for feedback, they're taking time, they're giving you a bunch of of uh, thoughts and suggestions and scores and ratings, and, and they never hear anything about it. How likely are they? How motivated are they to take that time and give that feedback next time? So you need to close the loop. And, and that goes for the client surveys as well um, on the client survey standpoint it, you know, a couple mistakes that we see people make um, the first of which is you know, they get locked into uh, too locked into the score you know, we've talked a lot about the score but don't focus so much on that score uh, that you lose sight of the really valuable context um, in sort of the comments and suggestions that accompany that you know, so almost every, every single survey that we do that has MPS also has you know uh what's one thing that we could do to improve, and what's the primary reason behind the rating? so if they give you a high rating, why if they give you a low rating why and another mistake that we see people make is that they focus so much on the negative yeah um, that yeah. they, that I they could forget that. to learn from the positive yeah. yeah i mean you I'm sure you guys have battled that a little bit right you get the you know all this great numbers and and you get the scores that you have you got, like you said you guys have a seventy percent m p s which is world world class level. Means you're doing way more right than you're doing wrong, but I guarantee you, if I talk to you or any of the rest of the leadership team, they're going to focus in on the three or four people that were upset.
0: It's so and, true, and, and yeah. you have
1: to, you know, you have to focus up broadly and and get credit for those that love you.
0: I, I agree with that. It's so funny because you could a lot of people when they get negative feedback, they go right to that, whereas like let's just uh, celebrate the the people that love us and who see the world the way we do. And, you know, the, the, the negative yeah. ones, maybe it's just that it's not a fit or something, you know? It could, could just be that.
1: Right, exactly. And it, or we, you know, run into this piece where we're trying to fix something for a very small portion of our audience as opposed to continuing to amplify the things that, that the, you know, primary group loves about us as a part of that.
0: So you mentioned like uh, opening up the kind of the feedback loop, keeping that going with employees. What else do people do with the results? Is there, you know, do, you, do they use it in recruiting? Uh, and just speaking about the internal employee survey here, like what, what do people do with it?
1: Yeah, the internal one's kind of behind the customer one um, in, in terms of how people utilize that information. It's still very much seen as you know behind closed doors, this is what we have um we're not really sharing it that much um and I think that that's starting to change. You look at the the impact that say Glassdoor.com dot com uh is having oh, yeah. on the employee experience uh you guys see it more than most in your line of work, right, dealing with your customers and how that impacts their ability to recruit and even to to retain the people that they have right there that you know it can be a it can work for you or it can work against you. But people aren't telling their own story on that, right? They're letting you know eight reviews on Glassdoor Absolutely. tell their story. Absolutely,
0: that's a really good way to look at that.
1: And, and so I think you can do more about being transparent with that and say, "Hey, you know, recruit. <laughs> here's here's uh, you know, I could tell you how great it is to work here, um, but I'm actually going to share with you all the comments from our employee satisfaction survey, and you know, it's all going to be anonymized. But you'll get to see what people are frustrated with. You also get to see what people like. Uh, I think I think we're moving towards ultimate service transparency, and that's happening with internal employees. Um, I think it's happening, it's happening even more with the customer side of it, right? And, and that's one of the things that, that we're pushing to do, um, and actually Zenium will benefit in this uh, starting in July. Um, we're going to take you know, all of the, your scores, and we're going to help you tell that story on your behalf uh, at a site called clearlyrated.com. Mm. Um, and, and our goal is to essentially do, for client service, what Glassdoor has done for employee satisfaction, which is to democratize that so that you're not having to say, look, we're at Zenium. You should work with us. We're great. Yeah. You can say, look, we're, we're with Zenium. We're really proud of the work we do. Go read about it yourself at this independent third-party site. I love that.
0: So, when you're talking about uh, the qualitative uh, comments, and you talked about sharing that with employees, I this came up before because we've done some client-driven surveys, and and I didn't know how to answer it. But some people were like, "Hey, do you you share verbatim responses, or do you summarize it into themes, or however?" I don't know the answer, and maybe you're still testing that. But what do you see? Uh, Or what do you do for your clients and and what do they do as far as sharing like verbatim or or summarized information?
1: Yeah, on client satisfaction surveys, unless you have, you know, a a survey that is getting, you know, ongoing a thousand responses a a quarter, unless you're getting quite a volume, I really recommend that you actually take the time to read through every response as a leader of the company. You read through every response that comes in, good, bad, and otherwise, um, because there's something to be said for the color that gets provided right you know when you come in let 's say that there's a um, there's a timesheet issue that comes up with a, a a particular customer of yours and and you know oh, that came up three different times okay well, that's interesting but that tells part of the story. Well, that doesn't seem like a lot, right? There's a lot of survey responses that only came up three times. But then if you actually read the, the verbatim responses and you see that the amount of emotion you know, charged with it, or maybe all three of those people gave you, uh, you know, a zero, the absolute lowest score that they could, that's context that you can't get by summarizing. Yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm a big fan of sharing the verbatims Within you know the, the the entire leadership team, share the themes out yeah, the next layer that makes from sense. there.
0: Yeah, when when we think about the the internal uh, employee survey, what what is it about like a high M P S score, E M P S score? Like, what does the culture look like? What kind of attributes do they have? What are they doing that uh, gives them that high score? Earns them that high score? If you could just sort of throw some words or attributes out. I'd be curious to, to know what you think.
1: Yeah, uh, I'll tell you exactly what it is. Paid fairly, Okay. optimistic about the future, mm. uh, empowered, connected to the why behind the work. And uh, the last but certainly um, not least is given the flexibility to to manage my work within my life.
0: So is this a growing theme for you? Like, Doing these internal employee surveys because I really I didn't know you did them until probably a few months ago when somebody was like, "Hey, they're doing some internal surveys," and I'm like, "Wow, okay, I could see this NPS thing working for companies as well." And that's why I wanted you on the podcast. How long have you been doing it?
1: Yeah, so we we've actually been doing it for gosh six or seven years. Oh, wow. Um, we we focus on the on the client side, and it, to be honest, we didn't even you know house the employee ones on our. Uh, website until recently. Um, And so we didn't even really talk about it until recently. And part of that was that the, the, you know, the market demand for the ENPS um, is sort of, you know, evolving on this where it's pretty well established for the client side. Um, And, uh, and so we've, you know, only recently been starting to, to really focus in, you know, on those types of efforts.
0: Well, I love the work that you're doing. And obviously, uh, Zenium's used you guys uh, year after year and, and I think we're going to launch here in the next few weeks, actually. So uh, for, from a customer standpoint, and you guys do great work and you guys really handhold us through the process. You have a great uh, backend uh, technology that provides really good data and reports. So I, I love the work that you're doing. Where can people learn more about you, your work, anything that you want to share uh, with people who are listening?
1: Yeah, I think the best place to start is is in um to take a look at at what we're writing there. We try to be really transparent um with what we learn. Um we don't hold it close to to the best in terms of getting a high response rate, you know, protecting yourself against um you know people uh, perceiving that there's, you know, not enough anonymity or confidentiality, helping to understand how to um h- how to take action on the responses. Um we we try and to, to live uh, the, the life that we try to get people to live, which is a transparent one. And so, you know, that's a really good place to start. Um, some great resources there. Um, and then, honestly, have a conversation. Um, if, you know, if you want to pick our brain on something, you know, we'll talk to you. And the reality is we might tell you, look, send us through your, your survey. You should be doing it on your own. Or, hey, utilize this tool. Um, you're not ready for us. Or, or we might say, look, we we might be a really good partner on this um, because we can add a lot of context. It's an industry that we understand and, and you know, we know some things already going into it. it, but, but we're happy to have those conversations.
0: Awesome. Eric Gregg, CEO, founder of Inoverro. Thank you for, for joining us for the podcast. Uh, I'm better for it. I really enjoyed this discussion. I think it's great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Brandon. And, and thank you for everything that Zenium does for us as well. Um, you know, we're, We'll both be sending your client survey and receiving your client survey. So uh, we look forward to continuing to give you guys feedback as well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www. Dot zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc., For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.